Good morning. You guys doing well? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible. Shouldn't be too hard to find unless you have a New Testament and it's nowhere to be found. It's only in the old. So, uh, so Exodus, this is our new teaching series, new year, new teaching series, the God you long for. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Good to have you with us this morning. Grab your sermon notes out. Also, you can go to, if you have an iPhone or an Android, you can go to the version and find the notes also there. Any football fans in the house? Did your team win yesterday? How many, uh, let's see, oh, we got some Patriot fans out there. Yeah, Tebow took a beating. Oh, well, um, that's the way it goes. And then let's see, what was the other game? Oh, San Francisco. Any San Francisco people? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, they beat up on uh, New Orleans. Not really. I mean, it was a close game, good game, but uh, good game, couple good games today. How many are looking forward to the games today? Okay. I'll try to get you out of here in time to see that first game. It's probably on right now. It's oh well. Hey, you know what? Uh, we've got more important things to do, don't we? Let's study God's Word. Uh, so I started off, We really the... the uh, the premise or the thesis statement for this whole teaching series, The God You Long For, is that anytime you have inordinate um, anxiety, anger, or depression, it is because at that moment you are forgetting who the God of the Bible is or you've never really known him. And, and I'm, not, I'm not discounting the factors that can play into that, such as physiological emotional, which would certainly be part of that, uh, and uh, the psychological, the relational elements, those can, can all help and assist in those inordinate emotions. But primarily, our issue is with our view of God, with our being able to see Him more clearly. And uh, in our text here today, Moses believed in God but it wasn't until he had this encounter with God that God became a living reality. See, it's one thing to, to have a, a concept of God and have a kind of a general belief. Yeah, I believe that there is a God, that he exists. But it's a totally different thing to have an encounter with him where he becomes, he becomes a living reality in your life. That you begin to have this what I would call an entranced vision of God. And that's, that's what we need more than anything. What you need more than anything and what your heart longs for. If you were to explore deep within your heart, what your heart longs for more than anything is to have this, uh, this entranced vision or view of God, to begin to see God for who He is in His greatness and His goodness. Because I'm convinced that if you begin to see God for who He is, you would be unshakable, you would be unbreakable, you would have unspeakable joy. If you had any idea what He thinks about you, how He feels about you, what He wants to do in your life, you wouldn't run from Him. You would run to Him. You would look for him. You would seek him with all of your heart, as the, as the Bible tells us. Hebrews 11.6 and also Jeremiah 
29.13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Is really So last week we talked about his existence. Does God exist? And uh, so today we're going to talk about, well, what does it mean to have an encounter with God? So four questions we're going to look at is, when do encounters with God happen? What does it mean to encounter God? Why is it possible to encounter God? And uh, how do you know you've really encountered God? Sound like some great questions, doesn't it? That's where we're headed with our study. Would you bow your heads, just take a moment, and then we'll dive into our text. God, once again, we're delighted to be here today. And, and uh, Father God, we know <clears throat> that you exist, not because of our speculation, but because of your revelation. You have revealed yourself to us through creation, through our conscience, through the commandments, your word that we're going to study here this morning. And ultimately, you have revealed yourself to us through Christ. You showed up here. And so we pray, God, that through the work and the power of your Holy Spirit, may we encounter you through the study of your word. May our hearts be filled with, a, with an awe and wonder of your greatness and, and be deeply satisfied by your goodness this morning so that it would chase away any inordinate anxiety, anger, depression. Because we know in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said... Amen. Okay, let's take, it our, take a look at our text. I'll read through this. I'm always tempted when we read through text uh, to kind of explain a little bit. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try not to because this is a powerful text. We're going to read straight through first 15 verses. Hang in there with me. Then we're going to go through and answer the questions, those questions that I just uh, presented to you. So Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the, land, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Any other sites? I always wanted to say, it almost sounded like it. I always wanted to say when I read that, and the parasites. But it kind of says that right there. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Just stop there just for a minute. I mean, he's... If you were just to study and meditate on this, that he hears them, he hears their cry, he knows their suffering, 
That's the God that is familiar with our cry and our suffering and comes alongside and helps us. And that's what he's saying. I've come down to help them as he does for us. (laughs) I love that. He's giving us revelation of God's heart for us here this morning as it relates to that. So, So whatever you're facing, whatever your issues are, he hears, he knows, he cares. He's available. He's with you to help you, to support you, to encourage you. And that's that's the point. He's very holy. He's he's a great God. He's transcendent, but he's he's also a good God, and he's very personal. He's imminent. So you get this aspect. You get both of those sides of God through the reading of this. It's It's just phenomenal. It's breathtaking as we work through this. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. Don't you understand this? I will be with you. And that's typical. We we, Immediately, we feel so intimidated in the presence of God. And we think, I can't do that. I can't represent you. And he says, wait, wait, wait. I'll I'll go with you. I will be with you. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt... You shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, Well, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So you get this idea that he keeps pushing back. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Pretty significant what he's saying here. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Anytime the Bible uses the word name, it's speaking of his character. So his character is unchanging. So this is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So, four questions. Here's the first. When do encounters with God happen? And uh, we, we look to the bush to kind of give us some insights of that. Next question we'll look at is what does it mean to encounter God? The fire gives us that answer. Why is it possible to encounter God? The angel gives us the answer there. And then how do we know you've encountered God? The call, the call that he receives Kind of answers that for us. So first of all, when do you uh, when do encounters with God happen? Uh, here's your first. There's like three fill in the blanks here. Here it is. Disappointments can be divine appointments if we take time to reflect. And so, uh, disappointments can be be divine appointments if we take time to reflect. And let me just kind of unpack this very quickly. You can see this in this text. Most will say that their big encounters with God was because life had become a disappointment. When I've talked with a number of people, they've said that when they've had the the greatest encounters with God was when life was disappointing, when life didn't meet their expectations or, or go according to plan. And that's what we have here with Moses. If you're familiar with the story, he was raised in Pharaoh's palace as a, as a young prince, amazing education. He really jumped the gun. He had a sense of call on his life, and he jumped the gun, be, uh, began to think that he could lead the, his people, Israel, out of Egyptian bondage. He killed a guy out of uh, haste and impatience, and then he had to flee for his life. 
And so he goes from living in a palace to on the backside of the desert uh, leading sheep. And, and that was pretty despicable, despicable to Egyptians. So he goes from the palace to really kind of a, to a place that's pretty despicable. The first 40 years was the palace. The next 40 is, is really in, in the desert. And this is where he has this encounter with God. And as I've stated, most people that would say that they encounter God, it's typically, uh, it's in the desert times of their lives. It's in those times when they're really disappointed with life, when life doesn't seem to go the way they thought it should go. Uh, here, here's another thing that I think that we need to keep in mind. So how do I know that I'm really having an encounter with God? So these disappointments can be divine appointments. A divine appointment, this burning bush experience, is to find in yourself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy. And when you look at uh, Moses, he looks over and he sees this bush that's not being consumed by the fire. It seems strange. And it was inexplicable because it didn't seem to fit his current model of reality. And so it is with us. We often will build our lives upon a foundation of, well, I'm going to have a solid family. Nothing wrong with having a solid family. I think it would be great. But that should not be your identity. And then when your family goes south or things don't work out in your marriage or any number of things, or I'm going to build a solid career. And so we, we tend to put all of our eggs in those baskets. And then things don't go as planned. They usually never do. Because there's nothing on this planet Earth that can withhold, you know, as a foundation for your life that, that much weight, your significance, your identity being built upon your career or your family or a marriage relationship or money or your house where you might live or any number of things. And so those things become inexplicable. We think, wow, if I could just have this. And then we get those things and they really don't satisfy and then if we don't get those things, they're very unforgiving. We just beat the heck out of ourselves. So not only are they unforgiving if we don't really accomplish what we set out to accomplish, but then even if we do, not only are they unforgiving, but they're unfulfilling. Because listen to me. There's nothing in creation that can satisfy your soul like the Creator. You were meant, you were created to build your life, the foundation of your life upon Him, to know Him, to live for Him, to walk with Him, to experience Him, not on a relationship. I mean, marriage is, is great. I'm married. I mean, and I've got a great marriage, but there was a time in, in my marriage relationship when I built my identity upon my wife and, and what she said and what she thought about me, first and foremost, as opposed to what God said about me. And it messed up my marriage relationship. It couldn't carry that kind of weight. And, uh, and that's what we have happening here with, with Moses. I mean, it just, it, it, he's just like, oh, he's, at, he's saying, wow, this is totally unfulfilling, unsatisfying. I'm now, I'm worse than where I first started. And yet this is where he encounters God. There was a song that came to mind as I was thinking about this. Maybe you're familiar with the song. In fact, you could probably sing the song with me this morning. <clears throat> Let me see if I can sing it. Okay, another, another sip. Here we go. You guys ready? I can't get no satisfaction. Can you sing that? Yes, I sing it. I can't get no satisfaction 
I've tried and I've tried. You guys know that song. I've tried and I can't get no. You got to use the lips and kind of go, wow, and do that thing. In fact, go ahead, turn to the person next to you and say, I can't get no satisfaction, okay? You know what? That might not be a very safe thing to do here this morning, huh? <laughs> Telling the person next to you as if they're the ones that are supposed to, uh, to take care of that. We're not, we didn't mean that, okay? <laughs> Don't go there. We didn't mean that. But the fact is, is you can't get no satisfaction in this world. You can't. Listen to me. You can't. Why are you so driven with your work or your career or your education? Those are all fine. Those are good. But, you, but don't be driven out of fear and pride. It should be out of a heart smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and Him leading you in that direction. Otherwise, it will overwhelm you. That's what we see with this, with this idea of Moses. Disappointments can be divine appointments if we take time to reflect But here's what we've got to do. You must turn aside from the busyness of life to reflect on what is happening. Did you notice this in verses 3 and 4? I kind of read it fast. But it says it twice. But he turned aside. And when God saw that he had turned aside, God spoke to him. That's pretty significant. I don't know that God will speak to us unless we turn aside. We're so busy with life that unless we turn aside... It was when he turned aside, God spoke to him. Well, God never speaks to me. Have you turned aside? Have you slowed the pace enough? Have you stopped enough, long enough between your happiness highs? Because it had been very easy for him to say, oh, whatever that is, I don't even want to know. I'm going to just keep these sheep. I'm responsible for them. I've got to take care of them. But no, he he set aside. He, He went aside. He turned aside. Literally, the word for that is that he took a detour. We need to have those in our lives. We need to take out time and, and, and begin to look into our lives. Moses still had to turn aside and check out the bush instead of medicating himself as we often do through busyness. There's a cross-reference I put in there, Luke six forty three forty five, And it says, uh, no bad tree can produce good fruit. It kind of goes through this whole analogy and talks about all you need to do is look at the fruit of your life and you can see what what the root system is all about and um and so really moses is able to ask that question but let me ask that question for you look at the fruit of your life why are you so anxious why are you so angry why are you so depressed Why are you so defensive when someone wants to speak truth to you? Why do you have a hard time speaking truth to others? Because you're afraid of what they might say or think or whatever? When you say that that all goes back to maybe having a small view of God, it's it's at those moments, as I stated, that you really don't see and understand the God of the Bible, how much He loves you and values you. Your identity is misplaced in those moments. And the inordinate desires and the inordinate emotions that that, that that produces is evidence of it. But unless you unless you turn aside and say, hey, wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. Why, why, in the, why am I feeling like this? Why, what's going on in my life? I had somebody this last week uh, confront me. And uh, they said, uh, why is it that you always, you know, it seems like you regularly go around this mountain and, and bring up this topic and... It's really troubling for me every time you bring this topic up. Why do you do that? And I I had to say, it's because I'm full of pride. 
and I'm bitter. And, uh, and I, I, was, I was very honest because I, when I looked inside, I, I turned aside for a moment. I said, you know what? At that moment, I'm, I'm not really seeing the beauty of God. And, and so therefore, if I, can, if I can push these people down, it elevates me and makes me feel big. And that's what I was doing. I was, I was cynical. I was critical. And now this person is no longer my friend. But uh, other than that, I'm kidding. That was a joke. But uh, you guys can laugh. <laughs> that was a joke because he is my friend. He's on staff. And uh, I appreciated him saying that to me. Because this is what it did. It helped me to see that. And it gave me opportunity to increase my joy in him and realize that I had been misplacing my identity even in that moment. Even in that moment, it gave me a chance to say, hey, wait a minute, why? I don't need to be like this. I don't need to be preoccupied with this. If I have a God-entranced vision, if I have this view, uh, if I have an entranced view of God, why would I be, why would I be so concerned about that? Let God take care of that. So, so those are questions we have to ask ourselves. It's, and it's in those disappointments. It's in when, when we look at what's going on in our heart and we dive deep enough. See, this is a beautiful opportunity to, to be a divine appointment because God loves you. That stuff comes to the surface because God loves you so much. He wants you to find healing and wholeness in Him and to increase your joy in Him because you're trying to find your happiness and your joy in other things. So... So learn to turn aside, learn to allow God to, to do his work. Uh, my wife, I, I'll tell on myself again. My wife, uh, how many like it when I tell on myself? Okay. And in a little bit, I'm going to get a mic out here and I'm going to have you tell on yourself. No, I, we won't do that. But uh, we'd go around and visit a lot of churches. And my wife finally told me, she says, you know, I, I would really enjoy the church experience more if you wouldn't be so critical of every church we go into. And so I said, do you want to still be married to me? And uh, I'm kidding. I didn't say that, actually. I just said, uh, initially, I pushed back. It was like, you don't even know, you know, well, these people don't know what they're doing. You know, you, ha- you know the typical pride stuff that we all do. But I had to, it forced me to think about that because she just said it lovingly. She says, I'd really enjoy our experience more if you just maybe encounter God when you go to church. That's a, that's a novel idea. Instead of criticizing everything that's going on, the music this and that guy and he didn't preach that right and he didn't do that. It's like, and it, and it was a wake up. It was like, man, I'm missing out on the best experience of all and that's just knowing God and walking with him because I'm too busy, preoccupied, trying to shove everybody down and put them in their place so that I could feel better about myself. And God was just saying, wait a minute, dude. If you had any idea what you're passing up, you know, by doing all of that, you wouldn't be passing me up. You'd be coming to me and experiencing me and knowing me. And so, uh, that hurts to say that, but it, that's, just, that's just where I am, and that's what God's doing in my life. And I'll tell you what, the more I live in the reality of His beauty and His glory, the more my heart is smitten. When I, you hear me say that a lot, because it's true, and boy, my heart, I want my heart to be smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. So that a lot of these other things, they're, they're not even second place. They're way down. You wouldn't even worry about it. You'd turn it over to Him. And you'd be able to better respond to those things because your whole life is not so built on, the, on your identity. So you're not going to be driven by fear and pride. It's going to come out of an overflow and you'll actually be able to help people as a result. And that's part of the wholeness that God brings to our lives. <clears throat> okay, 
Next point. Here we go. So what does it mean to encounter God? I kind of alluded to that, kind of showed you that. Disappointments can be divine appointments if we take time to reflect. But what does it mean to encounter God? And so the fire helps us with this. God is not someone we shape, but someone who shapes us. And the fire helps us with that. Did you notice in verse 2? Flame of fire. Moses is meeting the God who is the God of fire. Now, anytime you study the scripture, it's always good to ask, okay, he's the God of fire. Is this the best commentary for scripture is scripture? So is this found elsewhere in scripture? Yeah, absolutely. How many times does God appear in the Bible as fire? I don't know, but here's a few times. How about Genesis 15, 17, smoking fire pot and a flaming torch with Abraham? How about Exodus 19, 18 on Mount Sinai. How about Exodus 40, 38, desert wanderings, pillar of fire by night, a cloud by day. How about Matthew 3, 11, when John the Baptist said that he will come, the one who comes after me. In fact, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie his, his sandals and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. And then in Hebrews 10, it says, and God is, talks about him being a consuming fire. Now, if you had a bucket of water, you put your fist in a bucket of water, you could displace the water, and water wouldn't hurt you. You'd just get wet unless it was cold and probably wouldn't hurt you that much. And, but if you put your fist in a bucket of fire, uh, it wouldn't displace the fire. It would displace you. It would hurt you. It would burn you. And so you get a little bit of the idea of that, this, this idea of fire. And, and, and not only that, with the fire, verse 13, Moses is pushing back from God and being resistant and ask, what is your name? And then in verse 14, he says, I am who I am. My name is not who you want me to be. And, and I alluded to this, talked about it last week, and said, oftentimes people will say, well, I believe God is like this. Well, you can't create God in your image, in your likeness. He creates you in his likeness, in his image. He's the one that shapes you. You don't shape him. And that's the idea here. I am not the God you shape. I am the God who shapes you. And so when you have an encounter with God, you're not trying to create him in your image. Well, I, I think God's more like this or that. No, you, you come to him as he is, and then in that, he changes you. Otherwise, if you're shaping your own God, that God will never change you. But the God who is unchanging will shape you. He will change you. I was wanting to try to get this point across. I, I came across a video. This was actually uh, passed on to Darren from uh, Dimi Horabuena. And it's, uh, the guy's name is uh, Vadi Vodi Bakum. And uh, he put it on YouTube. On, uh, he tweeted it, and I got it, and then I retweeted it. And it's really worth watching. And this will knock the pride right out of you. And uh, I want you to watch what, listen to what he says, and we're going to come back and talk about it. Check this out. Students come up to me all the time after taking a semester in philosophy. There ought to be a rule. You should not be able to talk about philosophy unless you've had more than a semester of philosophy. <laughs> if you haven't had any, that's fine. Talk away. But if you've had a semester, you are messed up. <laughs> Be better off just not taking it at all. And they'll come up and they'll say things to me and they fought these things out. 
and I'm on the campus to talk about these issues and dealing with apologetics and they want to catch me alone and ask me these questions and they look at me and they say, I just wanted to ask you that um, if you believe in a God that is omnipotent and omnibenevolent, then how do you reconcile the issue of theodicy? To which I respond, took a semester of philosophy, right? <laughs> well, yes, how did you know? Because if you hadn't, you'd have just said, listen, God's so powerful and so good, how come bad stuff happens? <laughs> but I'm not going to answer the question until you ask it correctly. <laughs> I worked on that all week. What do you mean ask it correctly? You're not asking the question properly. What do you mean ask the question properly? It's my question. You can't tell me how to ask my question. I will answer your question when you ask it properly. How do I ask it properly? Here's how you ask that question properly. You look me in my eyes and you ask me this. How on earth can a holy and righteous God know what I did and thought and said on yesterday and not kill me in my sleep last night. You ask it that way and we can talk. But until you ask the question that way, you don't understand the issue. Until you ask the question that way, you believe the problem is out there. Until you ask the question that way, you believe that there are somehow some individuals who in and of themselves deserve something other than the wrath of Almighty God. Until you ask me the question that way, until you flip the script and ask the question this way and say, why is it that we are here today? Why has he not consumed and devoured each and every one of us? Why, why, oh God, does your judgment and your wrath tarry? When you ask it that way, you understand the issue. When you ask it the other way, you believe in the supremacy of man. How dare God not employ his power on behalf of almighty man. You flip the question around, you believe in the supremacy of Christ. How dare I steal his heir? Because the last breath I took, I borrowed it from him. And I'm never going to give it back. When you borrow something and never give it back, you're stealing. So you need to take a moment and get right right now. <laughs> the problem is me. The problem is the fact that I do not acknowledge the supremacy of Christ in truth. The problem is I start with me as the measure of all things. The problem is, I judge God based upon how well he carries out my agenda for the world. 
And I believe in the supremacy of me in truth. And as a result, I want a God who is omnipotent but not sovereign. If I have a God who is omnipotent but not sovereign, I can wield his power. But if my God is both omnipotent and sovereign, I am at his mercy. That's good, huh? That'll knock the pride right out of you. And the tendency for us to push back is just evidence of our pride. When we go, I don't want to hear that. And, and it's actually the balance. This is the God that will transform your life when you understand that. That's the God of the Bible. Take a look at your notes. So this is the encounter. The God is not, God is not someone we shape, but someone who shapes us. Here's the next point. God shapes or transforms us because he is both holy. This is what he was talking about on the video. So he demands punishment for sin, but he's also loving, seeks our justification. So there's an aspect, so you've got to maintain both. Now, if you walk away just hearing that, that was just an excerpt from this teaching, you're going to be out of balance. You're going to beat yourself up. You're going to be humbled, but you're not going to have the confidence that you need. We're going to talk about that. But you have to have it balanced out. So God is transcendent, but God is imminent. God is powerful, but God is personal. If you swing to the power without him being personal, you're going to beat the heck out of yourself. That's not, that's not what you want. That's not where you need to be. That's unhealthy. And... Um, so you've got to have the balance. So there's that aspect of God that he demands judgment for sin. But there's also that aspect of God that he loves us and he seeks your justification. There's that aspect of God where he says, you, you're a sinner. You're separated from me. But there's that aspect of God that says, I'm going to do everything I can to build a bridge to you so that you can walk across that so that you can know me. See, that's the gospel. So when you have that combination, oh my goodness, it's wonderful. It's breathtaking. And so you have to have both. And uh, how do you know that you've met the real God? The fire, once again, gives us this test. Fire is at the same time unbelievably beautiful and attractive, but also lethal and scary. Beautiful, attractive fire in a fireplace, but lethal and scary in a raging house fire. God is loving, is holy, and loving. And, and our tendency is to really construct God in our own image. And so what we have in America today, we have these extremes. We have the liberal view of God. Oh, he's all loving. And we have the conservative view of God. He's all holy. But you've got to have both to be balanced the God of the Bible is a consuming fire, burning holiness, zero tolerance for evil, but he also has burning, he's burning with passion and love that refuses to stop until he makes us his own. So you got this combination. The liberal view would say, yes, you should obey God, but, but in the end, God loves everybody and will accept everybody. Love is reality and law is secondary. And so it talks more about this. It's a called a conditional or unconditional relativism. But then the conservative view is, yes, God is very loving. But in the end, you've got to be good or he won't love you. 
Law is reality and love is secondary and it's a conditional moralism. And what that does is it creates this, it's your next fill in the blank, this perceivably irreconcilable tension. And the question we've dealt with this here in the past, it's time to do it again. Are the blessings of God conditional or unconditional? Yes, the answer is yes, both, both. I gave you a cross-reference there, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Now, if God is, is not holy, if he's not a holy God, that is, he's not a just judge, then what hope is there for all of the injustice that is going on on this planet Earth? If, if at some point in the future that the, the, the accounts aren't balanced... If justice isn't meted out in some way, then murderers get away with murder. You know, crooks get away with what they've done. But, but if God is not holy God, a just judge, then there's no hope for the world because how else will wrong be punished? But if God is not a loving God, a gracious, forgiving Father, there's no hope for us because how else can we be forgiven? So there's a dilemma Here's the answer. Why is it possible to encounter God? The angel. I don't know if you saw this. This is really a bigger riddle than the burning bush not being consumed by fire. Verses 5 through 6. Did you notice what God says to Moses? Do not come near. This is that holy aspect of God. Take off your sandals. And then what did Moses do? He hit his face. It's like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I can't even look into the face of God. For he was afraid to look at God. This is not some Hallmark greeting card understanding of God, obviously. And the greater riddle is not the bush, but why Moses is not consumed in the very presence of God. The bush is a picture of him in a sense. How is this possible? The answer is in verse 2. Did you notice this? The angel of the Lord. Now, throughout the Old Testament, you'll see where... An angel of the Lord shows up or the angel of the Lord shows up. They're they're not one and the same. Anytime the Bible says the angel of the Lord, who is it speaking of? Anybody? It's speaking of Jesus. It's a manifestation of Jesus. So what it's saying here, that the angel of the Lord through this fiery uh, bush that was not being consumed, the angel of the Lord... In fact, even Jesus said in, in John eight fifty eight, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He said the very words that God said here. So the angel of the Lord, Jesus, is mediating the very presence of God. This is what's happening here. So here's the next fill in the blank. So on the cross, here's the answer. Here's the answer. And this will send us right through the ceiling here. If you understand this, you're beginning to understand the gospel. On the cross, Jesus Christ absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law. That is, he's a holy God so that God could love us absolutely, unconditionally. He's a loving God. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? So on the cross, Jesus Christ absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law so that God could love us absolutely, unconditionally. In his holiness, he doesn't dismiss our sin, but in his love, he assumes it and sentences himself to the cross and we are transformed do you understand that that's amazing oh my goodness that will transform your heart amazing grace how sweet 
the sound that saved a wretch like me. To the degree you understand your wretchedness is to the degree that his amazing grace is, oh my goodness, sweet. See, if there's not a sweetness to the amazing grace, you don't understand how lost you are or were. And you're not living in the reality of this, this, this understanding of what he did and what he rescued you from. So that's why you have to maintain that balance. See, if you go to church, and in the church community today, we talk about God's love, God's love. But apart from his holiness, that's not going to transform you. It's in the midst of my wretchedness that he rescued me. Oh my goodness, unspeakable and glorious joy. If I don't have unspeakable, glorious joy, it's because I'm not living in the reality of my wretchedness and his rescue of me in that. And so that's why it's important to maintain that balance. And uh, so how do you know you've encountered God? The call. So let's walk through these. Um, every place where someone has had an encounter like this, Abraham in Genesis 12 Chapter 12 and chapter 15. You got Isaiah, Isaiah 6, Paul, uh, Acts 9. There's never a time that God calls you in that he doesn't send you out. Moses, it's almost like he's saying, Moses, though you are a whiner and a complainer. I mean, that's what he's doing here. And you're going to see him in the next chapter. So he just continues to kind of whine. I can't do this. I need help. So he sends his, his brother to help him. And he says, I love you and I will be with you. But I want you to go to Pharaoh. How do you know you have had an encounter with God? You go and you, you become a burning bush. Your life becomes a burning bush. Your life becomes inexplicable. inexplicable. No longer do you have these, these inordinate desires and inordinate emotions that dominate your life. He dominates your life. And you, your life is about pointing to him. So there's three things here I think we can draw from this. As we look at our own lives, here's three things, and this is what will happen to your life. You will have humble confidence. You hear me talk about that a lot, so got to keep, keep being reminded of that. Here's what the humble confidence does. That when I look at the cross, I'm reminded that I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. There was no other way. There's no other way you're going to be able to get to heaven. You can't do it on your own works. Your works aren't going to ever be good enough. And so you're lost. The Bible makes that very clear. I am more sinful than I ever dared to think. I was so sinful, Jesus had to die for me. What does that do? That knocks the pride right out of me. But you don't stay there. But I, was, I am more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much, he wanted to die for me. He sentenced himself to the cross. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died. Listen, there is no belief system, religious system on this planet earth that even comes close to that. Did you know that? Everything else is a works righteousness. This is a grace righteousness. We stand before God completely righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's the mediator. We have access to the throne room of God. Do you have any idea what you have through Jesus Christ? It is amazing. It is breathtaking. I mean, he's going to use this whiner this complainer, and he's going to use this guy powerfully to take the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and bring freedom to their lives. He uses this whiner every weekend. I mean, he uses me, and that's, if you really knew me, just talk to my wife. You know, you'd shake your head and go, how does he use him? Well, I guess there's hope for me. Yes, there is. Exactly. And so there's this humble confidence 
And then there's unconditional obedience. And this is because a lot of times people say, well, if you, if you preach grace, then people will do whatever they will want to do. No, they won't. Why would they want to do that? No, we don't obey him to get his blessing. We have his blessing, therefore we obey him. And so it creates this really unconditional uh, obedience is that I resist sin like crazy, but when I do fall into sin, there's no condemnation. For there's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I get back up because I want my life to reflect him. I want to put him on display. I love him. And so the way I show that I love him is I live according to his word. By the way, to know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. It only makes good sense that he, what he's established for me right here is out of his wisdom and love. So when I disobey him, I'm trampling on his wisdom and love for me. He created me. He knows what is best for me. So it only makes sense. I would obey him. But I don't do it to get his blessing. I already have his blessing. I have him in my life. He loves me. I do it out of the blessing. And I don't want to have anything foul that up. So I obey him. Unconditional obedience. And then the last one is radical generosity. Radical generosity. And this is what you're going to see because he's going to go off from the backside of the desert, go back to Egypt, and really face some pretty uh, harsh odds and obstacles. And yet uh, Moses is going to leverage his life. I leverage my time, my talents, and treasure for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I live my life for his glory, for his glory and not mine. So let me ask you this. When was the last time you encountered God? Maybe you just had one, just as we were studying. I, I just pray that you, you would begin to understand who this God is and that he would begin to revolutionize your life. And what will happen is there will be this balance. God's greatness makes his goodness affirming and comforting. In other words, you're going to have a bigger amount, a greater amount of mmm in your life when it comes to God. He is more satisfying than anything in this world. But his goodness makes his greatness astounding. Not only will you have a sense of mmm, God, you are so satisfied, you're going to have a sense of wow, wow. See, and that's, that's really the issue of our lives is, is to really understand who this God is and how much he loves us. And some of you need to experience that this morning even before we leave here. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's just pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And I know that there are those that came in here just heavily burdened. And they so desperately need to understand that you're a God of infinite wisdom and perfect love and unlimited power. And you're working in their lives. Lord, let them see that more clearly this morning. May this text and the words that were spoken begin to resonate in their life throughout this day, throughout this week. And God, may we be a people and a place where, where those from this community would come in and encounter you and know you and experience you. Just take a moment. What is it that's going on in your life? You begin to grow in your spiritual life when you can begin to apply to your heart in that specific area of restlessness, the love of God, the peace of God, all of who God is, that you would, you would confront those issues within your life. God, thank you that this book is not about denial of reality, but it's about embracing a bigger reality, and that is you in the midst of our, our pain and our suffering. God, thank you that you are more than enough and that you are better than life. God, be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?
So here's, here's my parting words and blessing to you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance. May you begin to look into his face through his word, through prayer, through, through the worship, praise tapes, whatever you do in your car, as you're driving. May you encounter him and know him that he is holy, he is great, but he is also good. And may it dispel all darkness, all depression, all disappointment. And may you find the life that only he can bring to us, that fullness of life that he came to give to us. And may you live in the reality of that fullness of life. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.